When I think about uh, my experiences of uh, talking with non-Christians about Jesus, it can be pretty depressing. I mean, there are some times when I was uh, bold and clear as I spoke to my non-Christian mates or my neighbours about the hope that I have in Jesus, but that's the exception, not the rule. Like the other month, I was at a community barbecue that our uh, local council put on. It was just around the corner from my house. And I was speaking with a, an, an older lady who was in her scooter. And I was chatting with her. And, and she mentioned in our conversation, uh, she mentioned quite mockingly some, some Christians that she'd seen on TV earlier that week. And there I was with this great opportunity to talk about Jesus, uh, to talk about being a Christian and the hope that I have in Jesus, about my opinion on what these particular people had been talking about. But instead I sat there quietly and politely and I listened, probably out of politeness on one hand and fear of looking stupid on the other. And I just sat there when I had a perfect opportunity to talk to her about Jesus and hold out to her the word of life. Or, um, back, when I, I, back when I was in Brisbane and working for the CSIRO, during your Monday morning smoko, we'd sit around and the guys would talk about what they'd been up to over the weekend, about the, the rounds of golf that they'd played, about the movies that they'd seen, about all the beer they'd drunk. And when they asked about my weekend... I'm pretty sure that never in the course of the, the years I worked there, I don't think I ever spoke about the stuff I'd heard at church, about how I'd been challenged by, by the sermon or about how something a mate had said to me after the service had been encouraging. There I was with this perfect opportunity. What did you get up to on the weekend? I could have spoken about Jesus, but I wimped out. Uh, instead of uh, holding forth that word of life about Jesus... I kept it to myself, more interested in looking normal uh, than having the name of Jesus heard, uh, more interested in, in playing it safe than being bold and courageous for Jesus. And I suspect, actually I'm pretty certain that I'm not the only one in that basket. Do you wimp out? Do you shut your mouth when you, you have this easy opportunity to talk about Jesus? Uh, when you have an opportunity you could make about talking, so you could talk about Jesus. I reckon of us, most of us are pretty afraid when it comes to talking about Jesus. And so as we look at this part of the Bible, as we look at uh, Philippians chapter 1 today, I pray that God is going to change our hearts and our minds so that we're going to be encouraged to fearlessly and boldly proclaim Christ. So let's, let's pray that now. Father God... As we hear you speak to us today in your word, please give us courage and take away the fear we have when it comes to speaking about your son. Amen. Uh, last week we kicked off our series uh, preaching through the, the book of Philippians and last week we, we heard about Paul's prayers for the church in Philippi. Paul thanked God uh, for the partnership that they had together and he prayed that they would keep growing in their love and their knowledge of Jesus. And in today's passage, uh, Paul is letting the Philippians know how things are going for him. So in that first half of chapter 1, uh, Paul prayed for the Philippians and now he's telling them how things are going for him. And the truth is, uh, things are looking pretty bad on the surface for Paul. Actually, they're not just pretty bad, it's, it's a complete disaster on the surface. But 
in this passage, Paul teaches the Philippians and he teaches us how to see uh, the world correctly, how to see his situation uh, in the light of the hope that we have in Jesus. So that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be looking at that part of uh, Philippians. Uh, the first verse, Philippians uh, chapter 1, verse 12, is like a, a summary, like an introduction uh, to verses 12 through to 18. So if you understand what Paul says in this one little verse, you're going to understand the next six and a half verses. What Paul wants the Philippians to know is that despite all the hard stuff he's been going through, that these hard things have resulted in more people hearing the gospel and more people coming to faith in Jesus. So please look in your Bibles, open them up to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12. And we're going to read from, from Philippians 1 and verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, this summary that Paul gives, it raises for us two questions. The first is, what has happened to Paul? And the second is, how has that thing that's happened to Paul, how does that serve to, to uh, advance the gospel? Paul answers those questions in verses 13 and 14. So the first question, what has happened to Paul? Well, Paul tells us that he's in jail for Christ. Uh, sorry, that he's in chains for Christ, which means that he's in jail. Most likely, uh, he's in jail in Rome. Uh, verse 13, he mentions the whole palace guard, which probably means uh, the guards that are in the emperor's palace in Rome. But what's the reason that he's in chains? Well, uh, the book of Acts from chapters 21 through to 28 tells us the story of Paul's imprisonment. In summary, he'd gone to Jerusalem, and because he was teaching that in Jesus both Jew and Gentile, that is the non-Jews, can be saved and come into God's kingdom, there had been a riot in Jerusalem. Paul was arrested, and as our second reading today said, Paul had sort of made his way up the court system, and he was writing this letter whilst he was in Rome, waiting for his trial date to come around. So the answer to that first question, what has happened to Paul?, Paul is in jail because he was preaching Christ. But how does that serve to advance the gospel? Uh, well, although Paul's arms and his legs are in chains, his tongue isn't. The, the gospel was advancing because Paul was able to tell the, the prison guards about Jesus Christ. And Paul was able to tell those people who questioned him about Jesus Christ. You can just imagine the scenario, can't you? You can imagine that the guards get their roster in the morning. Rufus, you've got Paul today. Oh, boss, not Paul. He never shuts up. Stop your whinging, Rufus. You know what to do when he talks. Just make his chains a bit tighter. Oh, boss, you know that that doesn't help. Whenever you tighten his chains, he just keeps talking more and more about this Jesus of Nazareth. Rufus, stop your whinging. Here's some cotton. We'll get to work. You can just imagine it, can't you? Paul there in his chains, letting everyone know about Jesus. Because for Paul, being in chains, it wasn't a problem. What mattered wasn't Paul, but Christ. And the other way that the gospel was advancing was that other Christians saw what had happened to Paul and that he was still preaching Christ. They saw that he was bold in jail preaching Christ and they were inspired themselves to preach Christ even more. Let's have a look at verses 13 and 14. 
As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that, I'm, that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Now, now being in chains might seem like a, a pretty tough situation, but it gets even worse than that. Because these people that Paul mentions are those people who've been inspired to preach Christ even more courageously. Well, there's two groups of them. To put it crassly, there's the goodies, and then there's the not-so-goodies. The goodies, they sort of make sense to us. They've heard that Paul's suffering. Uh, they've, pulled, they've, sorry, they've heard the lengths that he's willing to go for for the sake of Jesus, and they are inspired. They think... I should be like that too. They think, well, if Paul can preach the gospel and not worry about whether he goes to jail, not worry about whether he lives or dies, then I should do that too. And so they go out and they preach Christ. But the not-so-goodies, they're a bit confusing. Uh, Paul describes them as people who know that Paul's in jail and they're inspired to stir up trouble on account of his chains. Now, that mightn't sound too strange. I mean, Paul's got plenty of enemies. But the strange thing is, these not-so-goodies, they're preaching Christ. They preach Christ not out of love, but out of envy and rivalry. They preach Christ in order to make trouble. Uh, this is perverse. And this is really difficult to understand what on earth these people were thinking. It's really hard to understand what their motivations are. Paul doesn't tell us uh, these people's names. In fact, Paul doesn't tell us much about who these people are. He doesn't tell us the inner workings of their psychology and their theology. In fact, there's only really three things that we can work out from what Paul says. The first thing is that these people, uh, they, they weren't false teachers. And we know that because in Philippians chapter 3 and, and all sorts of other places in his writings, when he talks about false teachers, Paul is really, really hard on them. So they weren't false teachers. The second thing is they weren't pagans. They were Christians. Paul calls them his brothers and they are preaching Christ. And the third thing is there was something deeply wrong with their heart are the words that Paul uses to describe their motivation, envy and rivalry. They're the words that Paul uses in Romans 1 verse 29 when he is talking about the depths of depravity and wickedness in the human heart. They are not good character traits. Uh, Paul doesn't tell us much about these not-so-goodies, but I think that's the point. Paul doesn't want to demonise these people even though they're preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry. Paul doesn't want the Philippians to demonise them. Paul doesn't even want the Philippians to worry about what these guys are doing. But rather, Paul wants the Philippians to join with him in rejoicing, to join with him in rejoicing that Christ is being preached. Let's read verses 15 through to 18. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. 
the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Now before we move on, it's, it's important to notice what Paul isn't saying in those verses. Paul isn't saying, it doesn't matter how you live, it doesn't matter what's going on in your heart, as long as you talk about Jesus, he's all good. No, that's not what Paul's saying. Instead, Paul is so focused on Christ and so focused on Christ's gospel that he's just not bothered about what's happening to him. He's just glad that the gospel of Jesus is spreading throughout the world because what matters is Christ, not Paul. So having told the Philippians uh, how things are going for him, uh, Paul in verses 19 through to 26 starts to look forward. Uh, He's said how things are going, things are tough, he's in jail, there are people raising up trouble, but he's rejoicing because Christ is still being preached. But what does all that mean? For his future. Uh, remember last week how, how Paul thanked God for the, the partnership that he had with the Philippians. Well, Paul's future is tied up with that partnership. Uh, the Philippians, they've been praying for Paul, praying for him whilst he's in prison, praying that he's going to persevere throughout his prison experience, that Paul will keep trusting in Jesus and keep preaching Christ. And Paul knows that because of his prayers, sorry, because of their prayers, and because the Spirit of Jesus is helping him, he knows that he's going to persevere. He might, up, he might end up being executed. He might end up being released from prison. And at the end of the passage, he thinks that that one's the more likely one. But regardless of what happens to him, because of the prayers of the Philippians and the help of, the, of God's Spirit, He knows that he's going to keep trusting in Jesus, keep preaching Christ, so that through his life or through his death, Christ will be exalted, Christ will be glorified, he'll be magnified in everything that Paul does. And Because what matters is Christ, not Paul. Uh, Let's read from halfway through verse 18. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Have you noticed on the way through this passage how Paul just just keeps rejoicing. In verse 18, he says it twice. Paul is undergoing suffering and he is rejoicing. And Paul thinks about his future and thinks about not being ashamed and he mentions how he's going to keep on rejoicing. In verses 21 through to 26, Paul explains to us his way of thinking, his way of understanding the world that enables him to rejoice no matter what. So what is it that enables him to rejoice? It's because of everything that his life and his death is centred around. Paul's life is centred around Jesus. Paul's death is centred around Jesus. As he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And this means that as he looks towards his future, 
He looks and if, he's, if he keeps on living, his life is going to be all about being Christ's man, Christ's servant. And if he dies, then he's going to receive uh, the hope of his faith. He's going to be with Jesus and see Christ face to face. Now let's read verses 21 through to 26. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. So, in summary... Paul's in jail, but he's rejoicing. He's rejoicing because the gospel of Jesus is spreading. Those chains, they might stop him from moving around, but they don't stop him from preaching Christ. And they don't stop others from being inspired to do the same. And although his future is somewhat uncertain, he might die, he might be released, he looks forward to a future of continual rejoicing. Because what matters is Christ and not Paul. So how do you feel about what Paul's just written? It's pretty, pretty inspiring stuff, don't you think? Here's this bloke, Paul. Sure, on one level he's a leader in God's church, someone who, who God has given a particular role to as an apostle. But on another level, he's just another Christian. Someone who believes in the same Lord as you and I. Someone who shares in the same spirit as you and I. And here he is, he's locked up, not for doing anything wrong, but for preaching Jesus. And he's still telling people about Jesus, even whilst he's in chain. chains. But what is it that drives Paul? It's what he said in verse 21. To live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ... To die is gain. What's the worst thing that they can do to Paul? Kill him. But for Paul, that's not the worst thing they could do. That's the best thing. Because then he would be with Christ and see his face. And so, because of that, because there's nothing holding him back, he can get on with preaching Jesus boldly. And others are inspired to do the same. Uh, the way Paul sees it, he's got everything to gain and nothing to lose. It's heads, I win, tails, you lose. He's got nothing to lose, and so he can get on with speaking about Jesus. Now, if Paul can have that attitude when he faces death for the sake of Christ, don't you think that we should have that same kind of attitude? Paul said... To live, is do uh, sorry, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And isn't it the same for us? We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Uh, we have assurance of eternal life in Jesus. What's the worst thing that could happen to us? To die? Well, that's not the worst thing. That's gain. And if to die is gain, then 
we can join with Paul. To live is Christ. We should be able to take Paul's example with both hands and courageously and fearlessly talk about Jesus. So why don't we? Why don't, why don't I, why do I, why do we wimp out? Because what's the worst thing that can happen? Someone might think that we're, we're a bit weird, a bit strange. The conversation might be awkward for a couple of seconds. In the light of what we see in, a, in Philippians, in the light of what we see Paul willing to do, our wimping out in evangelism just, just doesn't make sense. Here's Paul, he's locked up in chains and he's evangelising those soldiers who guard him, those guys with big swords. And here am I, I'm struggling to talk to this old lady in a scooter at a barbecue. I struggle to have a chat to my mates at work because I'm scared that they might think I'm a little bit weird. Paul's example is inspiring. I find it inspiring, but challenging and a little daunting. Does it inspire you? If Paul is willing to go to jail for the gospel, then surely we can talk to our neighbour. Or that, that parent we see at the school gate. Or that person at work about the hope we have in Jesus. But maybe we're thinking, sure, it's all right for Paul, but he was an apostle of Jesus. He'd seen Jesus on the road to Damascus. He'd lived in a, he'd lived in a different culture and a different time. Maybe that's how we feel. I know sometimes I read what, about Paul and what, what he does, and it's disheartening. You think, I could never live up to that. Well, if you're like that, and sometimes, you know, Paul's example is a bit disheartening, it just seems too good to be true, I'm going to tell you about someone, someone else who seems a whole lot more normal. Not that Paul isn't actually just a normal old bloke, but let me tell you about Asia Bibi. Uh, Asia is a Pakistani woman, just a normal Christian woman. Uh, she lives in a village of about 1,500 families, and out of all of those families... Three are Christian. Asia used to work on a farm with a bunch of Muslim women. Uh, these women, they knew that she was a Christian and they would regularly pressure her to give up on her faith in Jesus and to convert to Islam. But Asia didn't uh, cave into their pressure and she kept trusting Jesus. But on the 19th of June last year, she was talking with her colleagues on the farm about the Lord Jesus Christ. She told these Muslim ladies that Jesus died for their sins, that he rose from the dead and that he is alive. And she urged her colleagues to trust in Jesus. Those ladies, they were furious at her for saying this and they began to beat her. Then some men came and they dragged her away and locked her up and they made a public announcement over the mosque speakers saying what she'd done and saying that they were going to parade her through the streets. They were going to paint her face black, put her on a donkey, 
parade her through the streets as punishment for talking about Jesus. But before that could happen, the police heard about it and they arrested her. And for the last 430 days, she's been imprisoned, separated from her family, from her children. Now, I'm sure, as a Christian lady living in that village, she was well aware of the consequences of speaking about Jesus. She knew what could happen to her, and still she courageously and fearlessly spoke the word of God. She got it right, didn't she? Asia knows what it means to live is Christ, to die is gain. She knows that what matters is Christ and not her. I hear her story and I hear Paul's story and it makes you think, doesn't it? It makes you think if they're willing to go to jail and face death for Jesus, then Surely tomorrow, at work, or when I see my neighbour and someone, someone asks, hey, what did you get up to on the weekend? It makes you think, doesn't it? Surely we could say something like, well, I went to church and I heard that when I die, I'm going to be with Jesus. What's the worst that could happen? For Paul, what mattered was Christ not himself. He lived out to live his Christ, to die his gain. What about us? Is it same, it's the same true for us. Because what matters isn't, isn't us. It's Jesus. So let's pray that God will give us strength to be like Paul. Father God, we thank you for our brother Paul. We thank you for how you strengthened him to keep proclaiming Christ in jail. Father, please strengthen us too. Inspire us to be like Paul, to realise that what matters is Christ and not us. Father, make us courageous and fearless to speak of him. Amen.